think you're going to have some thoughts on this next conversation as well, because this has been a focus uh, in in a lot of different ways for the last year, maybe even longer than that, uh, on professional sports and elite level sports, even college level in terms of the culture that exists within them. And I think it's pretty widely understood and you could you could really form a great argument around the fact that sports can be very beneficial for a lot of reasons. They can be an incredible outlet for kids. They can help shape character, build a sense of confidence. Team environments can be ultimately really good. But there has been a lot of occasions where a, the darker side to this, this toxic culture in sports has been really brought to the light. So what does it mean when we talk about culture in sports and how do we really try to change that? We're going to get into it with our guest, who's a professor of communication and culture at Royal Roads University, Jennifer Wellinga. Jennifer, thank you so much for making the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Jennifer, you've written an article uh, talking about this with some some good ideas on how to really try to attack this problem that we've really kind of used this vague term of a, a culture shift that needs to happen. So before we get into maybe some of your ideas and, and what this could look like to try to change things um, from the ground up, can you help define exactly what's been going on in the world of sports? Because we've seen, you know, what's been kind of a reckoning in terms of the stories that we've heard of, of what's really been happening. Right. Well, I mean, exactly. We're hearing about so many examples across sport. I think it's a product of a number of things. And actually, I always like to highlight that Canadian research really lead the way globally in this regard. We've been doing great research for about 40 years. The likes of Sandra Kirby, Gretchen Kerr, Peter Donnelly, some great, and Bruce Kidd, former Olympians, many of them as well. So uh, I think what we're seeing is a lot of factors, but lately people would be most familiar with hearing about safe sport. And that means, safety means, of course, physically, but also mentally, psychologically. And we're also, of course, caring for people like spiritually or soulfully, right? So when you get into this realm of sexual assault or sexual uh, predation within the sport environment, it's it has such long-term effects as well. So that those are the stories we're hearing about right now. And they also, of course, all trace back to issues of governance and leadership. Uh, how are these in- environments being created, structured in a way that is not preventing these kinds of harms from occurring. And you talk a little bit about that in your article, talking about how oftentimes it comes from an imbalance of power. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, sport, we we can learn everything we need from sport. So I always like to use it as a great metaphor. And uh, people who are watching these stories, caring about these stories, typically are quite invested in sport. So it's a great thing to turn to. An imbalance in power exists when and leads to these kinds of harms. Uh, when a coach holds all the power, for instance, uh, the athlete then is in that imbalance of power, no matter how old they are. Because people often say, well, you know, it, did the athlete consent to spending time in the coach's room? Well, in fact, it doesn't even matter. It's irrelevant because the athlete is in a position of powerlessness they care they're kind of vulnerable because of their passion for the sport they care so much about their sport that they'll compromise they'll they'll question their reality actually that you know the, so they're very vulnerable to gaslighting a, a coach telling them that no this is fine this is fine for you to spend time in my room something like that right or it's fine that i'm yelling at you like crazy and making you feel like garbage that's normal <laughs> and it isn't you know that is not normal it's abusive but you start to question everything you're in that kind of power imbalance situation where you don't hold 
well, the power to control your destiny. Mm. The coach does. As soon as you have that, you're in trouble. And everyone, frankly, behaves terribly. And is this across all levels of sport that we sort of see this? Are, are maybe minor leagues trying to model what they're seeing in more professional or elite level sports by implementing some of that abuse of power? Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about culture, we often talk about we're, we're referencing norms. So I do think people learn. I mean, that's social learning theory. People learn how to behave based on their elder or the more senior roles that they're operating and watching, operating under or watching. So, yeah, I do think that there's a bit of a trickle down of a behaviors of what's uh, acceptable or what's normal. Uh, but I also think the structures of sport have for too long been gone unmonitored. There's there's little accountability, but there's also this factor of volunteerism where we just don't have the capacity or the resources to to conduct the monitoring that's required. So if you think about a board of a, of a club, you know, they're just volunteers. They're trying to make this club survive and sustain, and they don't have time to get all the training necessarily or make sure everything's um, following bylaws, et cetera, or that they're even following the Not-for-Profit Societies Act sometimes. So there are a lot of factors, but frankly, it's it's really, it comes down to that, again, that power imbalance. If you allow some people to make all the decisions, the others are now uh, at a disadvantage and and they're stuck because when they're at a disadvantage, they're less likely to speak up right. and change things. Yeah. I, I want to be careful with how we're speaking about this and not generalize every single person that's involved in sports because I think that there are some incredible coaches and some really incredible organizations that are doing really, really good work that should be recognized. But there have been a lot of organizations uh, that have been faced with scandal. Uh, I, it includes you know, a bobsleigh and skeleton, alpine skiing, water polo, gymnastics, soccer, hockey. I mean, it's really something that's permeated a lot of different areas of sports, right, Gen- right Jennifer? Yeah, it has. And I, I agree, and I really do try to vocalize that fact that it's not every single sport organization. It's not a, it's not like a disease that's infected Canadian sport. It is um, a result of a few factors that have coalesced, but uh, there are a lot of examples of really positive sport, quality, true, safe, uh, really great sport experiences that are occurring right across our country. I often reflect on the fact I've had 30 different coaches over the span of my career as an athlete from, you know, elementary right into a national team. And I've never experienced any kind of abuse of, of someone, you know, whether that's uh, verbal or physical, sexual, anything. And I think that's actually pretty typical. <laughs> I think uh, it's rare. However, I think what we're seeing is uh, a product of too much of a fixation on outcomes, on medals. Mm. Uh, we need to expand that. And I know the people that own the podium are really trying to expand the criteria of performance and success. So uh, that's important. And we need to keep pushing for that. So that uh, being a champion isn't just that you have a medal hanging around your neck. You're also healthy and you're also a leader. You're a, you're a solid character. You're a solid citizen bringing uh, back to society what you've learned through sport. That's crucial. Um, yeah, I think that's that's happening, but we also have to just keep the pressure on to make that happen. If we're too fixated on a gold medal, that's at the center, and then it starts to privilege everything, and then you start to let other things slide. Uh, you start to compromise on things like health, safety, uh, equality, <laughs> yeah, get into trouble. I, 
I wonder then, you know, and just, just to kind of play devil's advocate here then, I, I wonder how you try to get that elite performance out of an athlete that ultimately wants to compete and wants to win without without some pressure and, and how blurry that line is to try to put that pressure on but but not cross the line where it where it, it kind of morphs into a abuse. I mean, how do you sort of ride that balance or can you? Well, most high-performance athletes, I would say 100% of them actually, all high-performance athletes are intrinsically motivated. They wouldn't be where they are if they weren't really keen on what they're doing, <laughs> truly in love with it, which is what makes them so vulnerable. You know, I was the kid who, who would just go out in the, at 10, 8, 10 p.m. and run hills because I wanted to get faster, right? No one was telling me to. No one's yelling at me. No one's forcing me to do that. I loved it. I loved striving. I loved high performance. I loved pursuing excellence. And I would say every high performance athlete has that. They don't need to be beaten over the head. Um, I think the way that the pressure is inherent in sport. So for instance, this is a great example. Our coach back in the 90s laid out a, a quadrennial plan for us, which is great coaching. Uh, and the targets we were supposed to hit if we wanted to win a gold medal and be the best in the world go the fastest which is truly our goal not beating anyone uh, but being the fastest we hit these targets over the next four years and we had to commit to training in a way that was laid out as well based on the science of the day and um, and really what he did is he invited us to join him as partners in pursuing that goal and those of us who said yeah we're in committed to exerting that kind of pressure on ourselves. And I, you know, when I saw the targets, they were called gold medal standards, not gold medals, the standard of speed. I actually questioned whether I'd be able to do it, but I was excited to try, right? So there's pressure, but it's something that is exerted from, you know, externally and from within. It's, you don't need someone, yeah, abusing you to Hmm. get that. And in fact, I don't think that even actually works in the long run. Great. I appreciate that perspective because you have that unique perspective, whereas, you know, a lot of people that are watching these stories and listening to this don't necessarily have that. So, uh, Jennifer, you've touched a little bit on how to kind of rebuild leadership from the bottom up when it comes to Mm -hmm. sports. Uh, But I know you have a couple other thoughts, so we're going to get to those in just a second, but we do have to take a very short break. I promise we'll be very quick. We're going to come back into this conversation with Jennifer Willinga, who's a professor of communication and culture at Royal Roads University talking about Canadian sport needing leadership from the bottom up and how to accomplish that. We're going to get back into it in just a couple minutes here on Chelsea Unshed. We're talking about changing Canadian sports and how leadership from the bottom up is the answer to really solve this culture issue that we've seen in many different sports. Jennifer Willinga is a professor of communication and culture at Royal Roads University. Jennifer, thanks so much for sticking around on hold and for continuing this conversation. Yeah, no problem. Love it. And we've been talking a little bit about some of the issues that have been going on within sports organizations. And, uh, you know, power imbalance was certainly one of them as well. What are some other opportunities that you think that some of these organizations have to really change the way that they operate from a leadership standpoint from the bottom up? Yeah, I think it links to power imbalance because it really is about a change of mindset. Uh, And I think it'll come... I think it'll come well as we start to just rethink sport and the purpose of sport and how we uh, pursue sport, how we value sport, et cetera, that it is about, you know, athlete development and success, but it's really about social development too, right? You're trying to develop great people, uh, give them an opportunity, just like school. You're trying to help people educate sports and education so that they give back to society and their leaders. And we see that. Kathy Campbell, Haley Wickenheiser, I mean, amazing leaders within our community, and really stepping up. But 
that starts with that mindset of we are partners. So the athlete and coach is a partner. The board and their members are partners. They aren't they aren't in control of uh, the public, you know, and they don't make all the decisions. They're actually fiduciary means that you're acting on behalf of. The members bestow the authority to enact on their behalf. And so we really need to reset and remember that sport is a partnership right across the board, no matter where you are in the sport environment. Uh, with that, we'll balance the power and then we'll start actually achieving the goals, I think, that that sport really possesses and that and that we hold for it within our society well hopefully with all of the attention on professional level sports uh, we will see some of those changes and it looks like some of those dominoes are falling uh, certainly with a new board with hockey canada that's the story that's been getting the most attention so uh, we'll keep watching it and uh jennifer thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts really appreciate it Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Of course. That's Jennifer Willinga, Professor of Communication and Culture at Royal Roads University.